Miami-Dade County is partnering with you to help keep our community safe from COVID-19 now and in the future. Do your part by getting your booster, staying home if you're sick, and getting tested if you think you have symptoms. We'll keep doing our part to protect our children's education and ensure testing, vaccines, and boosters are available for all so that our entire community continues to thrive. It's our best plan. For more information, visit miamidade.gov coronavirus. We'll have to call this a, a Hall of Fame edition of the Behind the You broadcast. My guest today is Jay Brophy, who uh, recently was inducted into the UM Sports Hall of Fame. Jay, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking us behind the you. And first and foremost, congratulations. Hey, I appreciate it. About 40 years later, and you know, you just don't think things like that are going to happen. So it was surprising, but uh, very gratifying. Very great. What was it like? What was it like to be back in that world, that space back here, former teammates? What was that like? Well, you know, it was great to be around the guys again. And I got the chance the day before to go by the heck to talk to Mario and the gang and just to see how the place had grown. I had really hung out on campus, even though I came down for a, a football game for Howard and things like that. I hadn't been back on campus in some years. So that was shocking uh, seeing that. And then the guys, again, 40 years, 30 years, I cannot see some of these guys for that long. And it still seems like it's only been a year or so. So that was great. That was all right. So let's get let's get down to business. You were recruited as a tight end? Yes. I mean, but it kind of went both ways. I was recruited as a linebacker slash tight end. Uh, what happened was uh, when I was recruited to Ohio State with Woody Hayes, uh, they were looking at me more at linebacker and Michigan was going back to tight end. And then Miami is kind of back and forth. And when uh, the coach Woody Hayes got tired of Ohio State, I'm watching the game when he hit the guy from Clemson. And I love Woody and them. And I grew up, uh, you know, Ohio State Buckeye fan and I uh, hated uh, Well, I, I didn't mind Michigan. I hated them at the time, but they recruited me. So I was okay with it. <laughs> hated Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was a, is big up in my area where I'm at now. I hate Notre Dame. So Miami comes in and uh, slides that in. I was just happy to go somewhere where I thought I could play and tight end or linebacker. I thought at the moment I didn't mind, but uh, I lost interest in tight end uh, pretty fast. All right, so if you grew up loving Ohio State and they're recruiting you, how'd you end up in Miami? Well, you know, that's a great story because uh, – Howard Snellenberg, I'll say it right there. Uh, even when Coach Hayes got fired at uh, Ohio State, I, I still knew all that. And back then, we didn't have ESPN. We didn't have all these things. So I actually saw the first Miami Hurricane was Otis Anderson playing in an all-star game. And Otis had the colors on. So I, that's the only reason I knew the colors. I, I, we didn't get regional games with Miami. Like I said, we got anything we got with maybe Penn State, Notre Dame, Notre Dame big up here, which again, I hate it, and Ohio State, Michigan. So uh, lo and behold, Len Fonts and Bill Trout, who recruited me, uh, Coach Trout did a great job, and Len Fonts was from the Canton area. So, and I live right outside of Canton and Akron. We're, 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 we're pretty much real close together. And he knew about me up there, and he knew the area. So they kind of sold me on that, and then it was the trip down. 
I mean, I come down to visit and oh, yeah. I'm in a swimming pool. I think it was like <laughs> January 2nd or something, 3rd. And I'm in a swimming pool at midnight at night calling home. And it's like two degrees back home. And right then I knew that the palm trees or whatever it was was going to be for me. I didn't want to be in that cold weather. Plus, I just, I love the fact that what Coach Snellenberg had sold us on, the opportunity to play. And it was just something about it. It just felt right. Even though after my first year there, I kind of took off on a sabbatical. So, yeah, can you? All right. That, all right, that was on the list. So, why don't we, let's get yeah. into that. So, you come down year one, you bolt year two. So, why did you leave? Where'd you go? What'd you do? Okay. Well, that, that's, that's it. Well, I came down and I found out that to me, Division One football was a job and school was a business. It just didn't feel right. I, you know, like every 19 year old, I already knew everything that I needed to know in the world. So, you know, I'm telling myself, man, this isn't right. I don't like, I like playing football, but I don't feel comfortable with this. So I think I even used tight end as an excuse that I was getting hit over the middle by Scotty Nicholas and Mo axing them guys. I ain't never got hit like that. And I was going, man, this, this is crazy. This sucks, you know? And I just wasn't happy with school. You know, I, I, I found out it was a business and I was disenchanted. So again, being a 19 year old that knows everything, I'll go out in the world to do my own thing or I'll go to another school and it'll, it'll work out fine. But I just didn't quit. I met with Howard uh, a few times in the spring and I told him what I was thinking. And at first I think he thought I was nuts and he was on my ass about it. But then uh, he started listening to me and I just said, coach, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm gonna come back. I, I don't feel right. Something's wrong here. I got I got to try something else. Well, I did. I told him I wasn't coming back for the fall. But unbeknownst to me, he had let my mother and father know that he had kept my scholarship open because he felt I needed to get away and I needed to realize what in the heck I was thinking about, you know, what was going on. He just, in our conversations, it came around. And, and again, he didn't lead on that, but I kind of felt that he was really listening to me. So again, I, I get out of there. Now you're trying to find schools that, you know, are really going to recruit you or look for you. And again, back then we didn't have those easy accesses. So my brother Ray tells me, Hey, listen, I got a job out of town in a rubber plant, uh, West Helena, Arkansas. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? It'd be good just to get away. I went to the armpit of the world and I don't <laughs> care if anybody in West Helena, Arkansas is listening God bless you, but I'll never go there again. I remember after after work, we come home and take these long showers. There's nowhere to go. We'd eat in a hotel place, something like that. And I was having a couple beers, and I was out on the Mississippi River. That was uh, a little uh, high at that time because that was a big talk in the town. Things being shut down, but I was standing out on the Mississippi River in tears, going, "What the hell did I just do?" It had clicked. I'm going here. I had all those answers. And boy, it don't, it don't look good. And my thought was, if I get back home after getting out of West Helena, we spent about uh, eight weeks, maybe nine, 10 weeks there, all time. And by the time we drove home, uh, I made up my mind that I needed to get my butt back into school and, and stop fooling around and get to work. So how, how did this go? Who You call coach? How does that yeah, work? Yeah, what happened? They were in uh, the Peach Bowl. And I called uh, Coach Alexander, Hubbard Alexander, who's another recruiter, uh, recruiter of mine. Hubbard, I was my tight end coach. 
And I called him and I said, hey, listen, coach, uh, you know, I don't know what the, the deal is and what, I, what I'd have to do, but I'd like to come back. And he said, Jay, he goes, let me, let me tell you now that hold still. I'm going to talk to coach. We get out of beach ball stuff. We'll be in touch. And that's all I got from that. And then I, I got a call from coach. And he said, listen, you come back. You got to take uh, the spring semester. You got to go to summer school. You got to do all this just to be eligible uh, to play. But they gave me a redshirt year for doing that. And, and that was really appreciated because that gave me my time back playing. I didn't really lose. And he called back and he had a meeting with me. Now, my parents had told me about the letter and what he had all said. And when I got back, Howard called me in. And he used to be so intimidating. He'd have those glasses down like this. And he wouldn't even look at you. You know, he'd wait till you sat down. And I mean, you could be creaking in your boots, sweat like crazy. And he ain't saying a word. Then he'd just look up at you. And he looked at me like, what the Sam hell is going on? And he, and he, he looked right at me there. And he goes, here's what the deal is. Jay, you, this is a second chance. Lots of times people don't get this. I want you to make the most out of it. And here's your opportunity. And that was it. And he said, we will not talk about this anymore. I said, okay, coach. And that's the way it went. And then you, and so then you became a linebacker. Yes. And that's one of the things that happened while I was down there in, in my spring semester, going to school, get ready for spring ball. Len Fonts came up to me and said, Hey, listen, we talked about it not working out real well at uh, tight end. And, uh, and I played, I lettered as a freshman tight end. They wouldn't throw the ball to me. And of course I couldn't blame them, but uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, I was just miserable. I was, I was talking, I could run around. I only had one, one route that I thought I was open and I tripped and fell. And so that, that wasn't too good. Jim Kelly's going fastballs, come on. Uh, but Len Fonz said, hey, what about moving your linebacker? And I said, oh, coach, I love it. They moved your linebacker and, you know, everything just changed. It really did. So you have said, you and many others have talked about just the greatness that is Howard Schnellenberger, right? Uh, so I want to start with this, he, you know, back a few minutes ago, you talked about the vision he set for you guys when you were getting recruited out of Ohio and many, Don, I, I'm good friends with Don Bailey. We work together. He taught, he, he envy, you know, not envy. He, he's, uh, you know, looks up to Howard as like a second father. He's, he's always talking about Howard just what an amazing football mind he was and, and how he could sell and build a program. So what was the vision? What was, what did he during the recruiting process, going back to before, you know, you left, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what was the vision that he was selling, communicating that got you to believe? Well, I, I was funny because he was just so invested in telling you in South Florida, the athletes we have and the ability we have to win is right away. We've got to get these type athletes in here. And we had the, he had the formula that he was building and the system we put in that in five years with the athletes we had, if we could bring in, we were going to challenge for the national championship. And he was so just straight up honest about it. That, that was his talk. He didn't say, well, if this goes right or this goes right, we get this guy. No, we're going to build from the South Port area, our, our area, we're bring these guys in. Guys like you have an opportunity to play early and we're going to work the way we need to work. And, and he had that system, he said in mind, of what we'd have to do and we would compete for the national championship. And, and he believed them. Oh, yeah. He, there's some people that can sell you 
anything. Howard is one of those guys. But some people could sell you a lot of BS, all right? This guy sold you a lot, and it, for some reason, and I think Don and all of us would say that, you just bought it. Yet the guy was too honest. You know, you didn't see him BSing you. This guy really believed in what he was saying. And it, it sounded right. You know, it just did. You know, even though that first year was rocky and it go that second year, but I never, I never lost sight of that. I knew the way we worked. First of all, I mean, it, it, you can't do that. What we did back then, you so, can't. So true or false? True or false? Wait, wait. True or false? I have been told by my sources, whose names might have been uh, mentioned earlier here, just maybe <laughs> minutes ago, that there were times after games on Saturdays, if oh. you were, if you did not perform to a standard you were back in pads on sunday true or false true very true i can remember coming to the door one morning it was eight something maybe we had meetings at nine and it said on the door just a white paper on the back door where we entered back the heck when we didn't have much there right and it said uh dress full pads on the field like nine o'clock or whatever and and that was it and we went oh god here we go and sure enough, we went in. The trainers were like, yeah, that's what it is. We were like, Mike, what are we doing? What they, you know, bottom line, get tape. Get up if you need tape. We guys are injured. We're banged up. Got You're our hitting. butts tape. Got our butts tape. Got our pads on and went out. We had two hours of, two hours or more of scrimmage because we were going to do it right. On you know, a like, Sunday. On a Sunday. Sunday morning. And, and you feel bad enough after Saturday taking the loss. And then maybe, you know, uh, having a beverage or something. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe, you know. <laughs> and trying to join you picture, you just want to get through Sunday morning. You know, take all the Howard, take all the, because we played bad or whatever. No. And, and after that, let me tell you, I think that when those things like that happen, you, he keeps you to a point where, man, you don't even try to guess. You just say, listen, when we go to film in the morning, have your ass there on time, be ready to go. Because we may be on the field. So I, it, it resonated with the way we practice, too. Because, again, practice, we could be halfway through or, say, a quarter way through. And he put on that whistle say, uh, tell one Marty, our one equipment manager, start period one. And what we're doing, we're starting over. We started from the stretch, and he would just cut down the minutes of the periods. We go right back to individual drill, right back to team, right back to everything you did. He said, we're not going to practice back. And he'd tell you that. We are not going to practice bad. So what he meant was, you better bust your ass every day out here to do the best you can. Otherwise, we'll just keep practicing. And when he lines you up on Sunday to scrimmage, believe me, you ain't going to have too many bad games. I mean, if you're going to get your butt kicked, you better go down fighting and scrapping the best you can because otherwise we'll just keep repeating this until we get better. How much, and, water? And how no much water? How much water would you get or not get? No, let's go with not yet to start with. <laughs> not, not yet. We, you know, again, it's illegal to do that. Right. Day. But you have golf carts come out and they have cups of water on. And sometimes they had pitches like to fill some of them in. Uh, and Howard blew a whistle. And now another thing that people don't remember, when Howard was there, we weren't allowed to take these and take your helmet off. You had to stand up. You had your helmets on. All right. So when he blew that whistle, you ripped that helmet off, ran over to that cart, and drank as much water. Everybody's like just trying to bump each other. Drink as much you can, throw some on your head, and you always try to keep one until that last minute. 
and get one down. Well, guys would try to hide him or anything else because as soon as he blew the whistle, two minutes was up, Michael Shane, our trainers, them golf carts were gone. <laughs> they weren't waiting on nobody. They were to get the hell off the field. And you had to have your helmet back on a buffet and you better sprint back to the drill that you were last at. And then we'd go from there. And that was it for the water. And that All was right. it. So clearly a different time in football. Um, right. And we've talked about just the belief that Howard uh, the belief that you guys had in him and, and the belief that he passed on to you, right. And, and his vision for, for what was going to happen at the university of Miami. But now that you're, since you're playing days, you've coached, right. You've been coaching yeah. high school football in Ohio for a long time. So I, I think you'd be someone to, that'd be really good to, to kind of expound on this. Just how good a coach was he? He was for me. And, and I probably speak for a lot of others, the best. And the reason being is you don't say you're going to win a national title or compete for one in five years and win it. You know, in the way he did it, his coaches and all were held to such a standard and belief that everything we did, like I said, if we, if we didn't practice right, we started over. Everything was done meticulously. We knew exactly where we stood and what we were going to do in that game, what had to be done. And it made the games easier on us because our scouting reports were unbelievable they were great uh our game plans were right on right on point and it was just about the execution and sometimes i wonder if the execution we were just afraid of not executing and what would happen to us or it was again we knew if we did that we'd be successful i call it brainwashing now you know that's what you got to do to kids sometimes Tell them they're better than they are. Explain them we can get everything done we want to because kids have a hard time believing that. But once we bought into that, again, that's the way we felt. I think that was his genius. He was not only uh, – because uh, he, he basically brought Miami Dolphins' offense to us that year uh, when we were down at Miami and ran that. But he was ahead of his time as far as offensively the things he thought it could be done. And defense, he was so organized and so, uh, God, he just so straightforward, knew what you had to do to win. And he would make that happen. There was never excuses. There was never, I never remember him coming up at a meeting and saying that uh, our game plan was wrong. What we did was wrong. The way we do things is wrong. Never. It was, you know, we didn't get this done. We didn't establish this. We didn't do this right, but the game plan was still there. Everything we were doing was right on point. It was just, we either made a mistake, we weren't the better team, we have to get better, we'll work on things, but nothing changed. His focus and his demeanor and the things he did never varied. And I think that was huge. And I think, you know, you see that in a guy like uh, uh, Saban now. You know, Saban's demeanor is a little crazy to the sidelines, he talks, but he's always the way he is. And from everything I've gathered, for him being on the field and practicing it all it's the same way. And I think he's one that establishes that now too in his way. But Howard had that in his way. You knew when you came out in the practice field, uh, the game field, it just was always the same. It didn't change. And that's a hard thing to do as a coach. Yeah, and, and that's why I think you're a good person to speak on that. Now, you also mentioned before that, and everyone knows about the kind of state of Miami, he was going to lock down the area recruit. So what did you think being a kid from you know Ohio – 
as you started bringing in all these South Florida kids or, or you know, let's say up to Orlando down, what do you think of all the ath- athletes folk he was bringing in and the talent he was assembling as someone who was sort of an outsider? Well, I said, man, there's all the speed is, you know, down in the South where we can run. You know, yeah, you're around weather. You know, up, up here, up north, you're going to get some more polar bear type guys sometimes because, you know, we get the snow. We ain't running out here in February. You know, we're not outside. I was at my daughter's softball game today. It's 50 degrees. It's freezing out. You know, and this is uh, darn near May. You know, we may get some snow another week. We don't know. But down in Miami or South Florida, in Florida, you know, it, there was no offseason. Guys were out running all the time. And you saw that. You saw the athleticism at the parks. Because you could be out, and again, back then, we didn't have video games. Back then, we didn't have, uh, up north here, we didn't have things like AU and all those things. When the weather broke, you played in the parks. That's where you were at. Well, down south, guys were outside year-round. Guys were running. You had athletes that were athletes. And I saw the big guys could even run. I'm like, wow. So even though I knew we had a ton of athletes in Ohio, good athletes, the speed of the game, the speed of the players, and the athleticism a lot of them, uh, I think that was the eye-opener. So let, let's go through some of the guys, some of the other guys on the team, right? Because he assembled got, he assembled a, a good core of guys and guys that even carried it on after he left when, you know, when Jimmy came. So I just want to knock out a couple names. How nasty was Jim Burt? Jim Burt was a beast. Jim, Jim was the kind of guy that uh, if – you would beat him or something. I swear he would go train at it for a week or two just to challenge you again and beat. I mean, he, he is not going to take kindly to racquetball. If you had won a game against him, he'd go train harder to beat you the next time. And he loved talking back with you, joking about it. Uh, ultimate competitor. Who are some of the unsung heroes on the defense? You're in the Hall of Fame. Who are some of the other guys that maybe should get more notoriety than they than they have received? Well. Well, I'll tell you what, in, in my year, the year of the 83 championship, I, I would say all those guys on defense because it was surprising. We didn't have a ton of big guys. And coach would always say this. I, I remember I introduced him at a speech up here in Canton one time. And before we were talking, I think I mentioned our defensive line average like 250-something. He looked at me like I was crazy. And he was like, Jay, we averaged 242 pounds across the front. And, but he was right, obviously. But he knew that to that number. But guys like Julio Cortez, the, the six-foot, maybe 200-pounder outside linebacker that would just wreak havoc. He was like a missile. He'd fly around tattoo you. Fred Robinson, who was six four and a half, probably weighed maybe two, maybe 220 on a good day, playing inside. Freddie had the long arms to get after you. Fitzy, the nose tackle, Fitzpatrick. Five uh, eleven, you know, we'll, we'll push that up. Maybe I'll say six foot four or whatever. But just the beast inside was kind of like a, a younger Jim Burt kind of style. Uh, was just very strong, had great leverage, really kept people off you. Uh, Kevin Fagan, who started as my backup linebacker to start with. Next, he grows into this position <laughs> as a D lineman. And he, Dude, and I, I had, I've had guys on this podcast like Steve Walsh and, I, and someone else who – came around in like 86 87 yeah and i said well when did you know like you were in a different like you were in a different universe than high school and i think wall said yeah the i think the moment i met kevin fagan was one of them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he grew into a huge beast and again he was 215 i know he's 265 he's huge and he was a great athlete too which 
which also really came into play with him playing on the defensive line because you could play him darn near everywhere. Dallas Cameron, another guy, uh, 6'2", probably 240, 235. Uh, Kenny Sis played next to me and Jack Fernandez. Both guys. Kenny, 6'1", or 2", 215, like myself. Uh, uh, Fernandez, 5'11", 6'2", 210, 215. We were not big. So why'd you guys think you were going to beat Nebraska? Because they were big, right? They were the big yeah, oh, option. Man, they were huge. We, we saw them guys. Wow, man. I mean, they were unreal. They brought two trailer loads of weights down with them, you know, because they have the weights that are lift. When they were out, walked around the mall and stuff, we were like, wow, these dudes were huge. But the thing about it, you ain't been hit until you've been hit by us. And you, our whole defense, some of the biggest problems I had, now I had Eddie Williams, the defensive back, Rodney Bellinger, uh, Sutton, uh, all, all the guys. It, it, was, it was great because when you were in the huddle, and my, I, my job was to call the huddle, get them together, call the defense. Sometimes I said, well, you guys set the hell up because we'd have them talking. Fred and, and Fitz, he'd be talking, he was the back, we were ready to play people. We were jack people up. They're laughing and teasing about guys over top of them. You know, what? watch me this time. Yeah, come on, let's do this. There was no fear whatsoever. And weight and height, even though it looked impressive, never bothered us. It was like, if, I think if you made it through Howard's training and what we did, that uh, when they unleashed us, it was like, uh, Man, everybody would just—you uh, wouldn't have to worry. I call it hitability now. I tell kids some people just have hitability. Guys will fly around, tattoo anything, and they ain't the biggest, they ain't the strongest, but they would. And that's kind of how we play defense, though, within the scheme. And Coach Alvadotti did a great job of that. So, so I what were you? Was what it. was your guy going into that game, 1980? You know, 84, right? The championship game, the 83 yeah. season. What were you guys thinking? going up against the big, bad Nebraska Cornhuskers? Well, here's what the funny thing is. We come out of the meeting rooms over at the uh, hotel we were staying at. And I'll never forget Ian Sinclair, my old roommate in center, and Bernie Kozar, and Bernie them coming out going, man, we're going to throw all over these guys. They haven't seen a pro offense. They were psyched up. They were going, these guys haven't seen a pro offense. Man, we're going to move the ball. We're going to do thing. They were so confident. And I was like, wow, you know, that's crazy. Now we're looking at Turner Gill, uh, <laughs> Mike Rogier, you know, let's give them all these guys, Dean Stein Cooler, all these guys up front. But again, it was just, just that kind of way we felt because we were like two touchdowns or more underdogs. And but we were like, bring it on. These guys ain't seen the heat. They, ain't they haven't played us. They haven't played in the Orange Bowl. It's not going to happen for them. And even with that size, there was just, there was a nastiness and a belief in these guys. I tell you, most of these guys, I, I, again, you look in the huddle and you go, my God, because each one of them, they're just confident as they could be. You know, bring it on. We didn't care. And that, that's what, again, I think was kind of the motivation out of that uh, is we never feared playing everybody. And we would start off lots of times with the first series, a team might have success until we figured them out. And once we figured them out, it was shutdown time. And that's how so, we played. Were you guys always like that? Yes. And I think that was the key to our, our success uh, the 83 year. But even before, we started we started realizing how good we could be. And that, that 83 team was ranked, uh, I forget where we ended up, in the top five in scoring and everything else. And 
once we figured you out, kind of, we knew you, we got you. And, and again, we just had enough guys that guys would run to the ball and hit people. We, and it just never stopped. And you felt good when you're around the a pile, you with your buddies, cause they were all there too. And it just was that kind of confidence. And again, the scheme schematically, you had to be able to play. You had to know your job because if you didn't simple, just you wouldn't play. That's how it was done. So like 81, 82, right? So, well, let me take it back to 79. So 79, right? Towards comes in, you're recruited. Obviously, well, you left for a year, but uh, now you come yeah, in, you come, yeah. but really more so like, so 81, 82, as it's building to 83, I guess really is, is what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, were there games or games in those two seasons leading up to 83 that led you guys to believe, man, what, what Howard said is true. Man, what he told us, it's happening. Like, was there a, 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 an upset, a game, a result that le- or, or, or more than one that led you guys to believe like it's happening? Like he said it, he told us, and now it's starting to happen. This thing's starting to turn. Well, you know, I think what it was is we realized in 79 even how much talent we, were, we had down there. And, man, when we were on the same page, we played well. Well, then 81, 82 – I think it was, it was just all coming together. We kept looking at it going, man, you know, we're pretty damn good. And we got some pretty damn good players. And I, I don't know if they had really ever thought that before. I know they had a lot of individual talent, but we looked over the team and you look at it and go, man for man, you look at it and go, man, that guy can win at that position. That guy can win at that, man, as a group, we can do that. And I think even though, uh, the, the second or third year into it, and we took some losses. It was a learning experience. We, we didn't feel like we couldn't win those games. We just didn't. And I think that was the, the ultimate kind of a, a crescendo at least that 83 year was going, we know we got it. When we lost that opening game. It was kind of like, we all looked at each other like, this is never happening again. And we just, we just felt rode that. And it was, it's kind of hard to describe that, but even as a coach now, 30 some years in, I can tell with a team, I'm going, you know what? It, we may not look like a lot, but we got some talent. We're not, we're going to be okay. And you are. There's other teams you look at and go, we've got some really good talent, but I don't know about our depth and I don't know about our mindset. I, I don't know if, if this is a, a team of natural born killers, I like to call, that, that I, are going to go out and play. I'm not sure. But there's other times you see it, and I felt it. And I think we all do as a team down there. When we took the field, we pretty much knew it, and you call it cock and cock, which way we want to call it, but we always felt that we were going to win a ball game. I never went into a game, especially that senior year, ever thinking we could lose. So let's go back to some of the guys you, you, you ran with. There's, there's that famous picture, the quarterback picture, right, from 82. Vinny, Bernie, yeah. Kelly, Rick, Vandaway. I've spoken about it with Mark, you know, it's, it's talked about all the time. What did you think about those guys being a defensive player? Did you think there were three first rounders in there? Oh, uh, you, I don't know if I would have thought first rounders at the time, but it was funny because Mark Rick actually, when we left, we were roommates with the Dolphins until we get released or wherever he got released. So I stayed in touch with Mark at that time. And I saw the talent. And again, I come in with Jim Kelly. And I look at all these going after another. It's just like one replaced the other. You look at it and go, oh, God, this guy can do this too. 
especially on the defensive side. Now, I'd also look at go, okay, Benny, just Bernie. We're in spring, and it's him and Bernie battling it out. Now, Vinny was the best athlete and the strongest arm. Hell, he was, he was bigger and stronger than I was, and I'm playing linebacker. But Vinny was a guy that uh, went through his prog- uh, progressions, did his thing, and went through them. And I could, get, I could get by once in a while with sneaking to the line or doing some decoy and a sign and then, then blitzing and calling things off. Bernie, and the reason I think Bernie was the, became the starter, you take one step like that with Bernie, and he'd start laughing. And I'm going, I'm going like, Jack, 83, 83, what? I'm just trying to decoy something. And he'd laugh. And he'd look at me like, right. And check red, <laughs> red. He's checking out. He, he's got it. He's, he's, he was just a step ahead. And, and Vinny would know where two, three receivers were. Bernie would know where everybody was at. If you had to check down one, two, three, check it down, whatever. Now, he was the gang, the geese guy. He's not going to outrun you, do any of those things. Vinny could scramble out from underneath, make plays on the run, do all that. Bernie could sit in the pocket and just pick you apart. So Bernie was that smart, that football smart. Yes, yes. He, he uh, Bernie could call a game. I, I would never worry about that. Just put it in his hands. He'd do Howard's offense. Bernie would call a game. So now, so now I'm thinking, Jay, like 83, you say they come out of that meeting, Bernie, all those guys, they're, yeah. get, they're, they're, they're confident, they're happy, they're smiling, we're going to light it up. Maybe you shouldn't have switched to linebacker. You've been catching touchdowns in the championship game. Well, my, I wish my roommate, Glenn Dennison, yeah. roommate, he was catching them. He caught all of them. <laughs> I was kind of, I was glad though, because I wasn't made to be on the offensive side. I might have caught a check down for three yards, but I'd have been blocking the whole time. No, no, my, my place was over on defense where I belong. And right. I'm glad Glenn was over there tight end because I knew those guys had made plays. I wasn't worried about it. So how vividly do you remember the final play? They go for two. How vividly do you remember what happened on that play? Vivid enough that uh, I cheated. Uh, going into the blitz, it was a double dog call because we knew right away they weren't kicking a field uh, extra point. There was no way in hell. And I don't think any one of the players, not one of us looked like field goal unit or anything like that. I was looking right away at Coach Alvadotti like, okay, what we got? What, what are we going with? And we had the double dog blitz on. And Howard uh, said that he talked to uh, Coach O about that. And that was O's call. And he said, in, and we, we were blitzing to, to the field side. And uh, uh, I cheated in my butts. I started showing because I'm coming because all I could think of was, man, we cannot let Turner Gill out of this pocket. We're tired. We're beat up. And that back then, they had put sand on the field because after the Dolphins played, uh, their playoff game was torn up. Well, they put a lot of sand in the field. And they spray painted it. So it looked great for television. But running through that stuff was like running on the beach. <laughs> oh, I've yeah. never heard was, that. Yes. Yes, it was tough. We had guys cramping up earlier, but we were tired just because that size had kind of worn out a little bit. I mean, I had a cast on my hand and a rubberized one, and, and we're getting a little worn down. So we wanted to haul ass to get there, pull him up, whatever it is. I knew it was going to be a run option with Turner. We just had to make sure that he didn't get anything out right away or a pitch that we're running to it. So we all did and ran to it. And all I can remember is, is trying to come around the blitz and I'm seeing him throw that ball and just look back and see Kenny lay out and know that guy didn't catch the ball. Now, the only thing, though, I put my hands up in there. It was a great celebration. 
But if everybody remembers, there was anywhere from 30 to 50 seconds left. Plenty of time for an onside kick, and that kid had a leg from Nebraska. So I wasn't happy. And we came off the field. I was like, no, no, the people are slapping. Oh, no, no. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to see us recover the onside kick. I want to say it was Albert Bentley got it. But when we recovered the onside kick, that's where all the jubilation came out. Then I knew it was over. So what is that? What did that moment mean to you then? What does it mean to you now? I mean, that's the, you know, at your Hall of Fame speech, you talked about the you and everyone talks about the you, but that wasn't, it wasn't the you right. back then. So how, how satisfactory, how gratifying you did it, right? You did it. You, yeah. you started this insane run and in putting University of Miami football on the map. How, how much do you savor that? I savor a, a, a lot because it not only, put us on the map, it galvanized the city. If you remember the U thing, and I don't think the uh, documentary that uh, Howard and the 83 team got enough press. I'm sorry, and I'm, you know, that's it's me, because I'm saying that. But I don't think that's because they didn't have the cameras out in 83. No one expected us to be like uh, the, the ones that turned all that around. The other teams that came had more flash, more flair after us. But during that time, there was the riots in the cities and all that stuff going on. And that whole place turned out for us, uh, came together as a group, and we were the most diversified team you could ever think of. If you look back then, we had darn near every nationality on our team at that time, where other teams had nothing like that. And, and it was full of it. Well, we, we were just a microcosm of the city. And when that all came together like that, you felt like uh, not only the you, but the whole city of Miami had won. You know, it was like the whole, the whole place. Now, you know, the fans are happy, but it felt like a victory for South Florida. You know, we all, we all had a hand in it and we won this. And for me personally, I thought of the five years that Howard said that would take and winning in the fifth year after I quit. But to see how second chances pay off, I lettered as a freshman. So if I didn't quit and leave, I would have graduated the year before the national championship. So is that destiny? Is that meant to be? In my mind, it was because that's what I used uh, as a coach for the old 30 some years now is, you know, second chances, believing in something, the commitment to doing it, uh, not always having it right and thinking you know better, but getting second chances and being able to, to try things over and not give up on people. and succeed in the group no matter what the odds are against you and again no matter the size of a team it doesn't matter you know it's it, it's we gotta believe because once you don't believe that you're gonna win something and i told my I, I honestly told my coaches that this year again i said hey we gotta win a, a state title and they looked at me like, i said why not and i and i meant it because we had a, a couple of new coaches up and i said if we don't believe that we can win a state title you're never gonna win one Okay, it's the same way if you don't believe you can win your league, if you can win a game. If you don't think that first, you never are. That's the way it is. You've got to have this unconditional belief that we can get it done. And now, if you fall short, hey, that happens to 99% of us, right? 1% always wins that title. So why can't it be us? Until we don't make it, that's what our, our whole emphasis has got to be and our whole belief system. And I think that's what I took out of Howard because 
when he said five years, he meant it. And when I said that earlier, that, you know, you could just believe him. You know, he just didn't seem like a BS. You could just tell this guy was for real what he meant. Now, what he took us through and, and maybe his belief, you know, we look at him. But he was damned if he wasn't going to get that national title. And we did in five years. So like I said, I just, I, I never want to say that things aren't attainable because they are. And that's what the U means to me and meant to me. And that's why I said, I think we just got, uh, you know, uh, complacent. Uh, sometimes you throw up the U, you, uh, you think you're going to win games, you come out with that talent. And, and sometimes you just forget the little things, the little details. And I think we just got away from that a little bit. And again, that just happens sometimes. But I, I really feel that under Coach Cristobal and just what I'm hearing, the buzz of what I'm seeing, uh, it feels like it's, uh, it's back to Kane days. It really does. What was Howard like in the locker room after the 83 champion? What was he like in the locker room <laughs> after the game? You know what? It, this is interesting too, Josh. This is, this is, I think he waited. Now, he had individual talks with us like a man. But in there, he was happy, but still smiling, but still businesslike, you know? He still had that, you know, that rough, stern look, and he saw it and stuff, but it was nothing like he let loose. But he invited us seniors over to the house uh, after the season was over and actually had drinks for us, whatever we wanted to sit around and talk. And it felt like, you know, we all fit in, that it was okay now. And he shared moments with you. I actually flew up to New York with him to do the Today Show about playing Nebraska. And, you know, he helped fix my tie. Him and Beverly, they were like the surrogate parents for me on the trip. And uh, he talked to me about stuff and weather, his inter uh, interest in uh, aviation and weather and things like this. And, and he really opened up. But he was kind of like, a, God, it was easy to talk to sometimes, but his, his demeanor and his seriousness and the way he looked at I think intimidated a lot of folks from like being able to hold those conversations with him. Because don't BS, because he'll call you out. He'd call you out in a heartbeat. You know, he really would. But he let us come over to the house, man. And again, we, we really saw the human side uh, of him. And, and you saw it at times. But, man, I, I always remember Howard as a pipe, the smoke, and that look in his eye like, you better be doing the right thing. And you must have known, though. You must have known what you were leaving behind too. Yeah. Right? Or, or, and, and you stayed in Miami with the dolphins. So I imagine you weren't surprised by the success Jimmy had after you. No. Because of what and, Howard and, had put together. Right. And I think, you know, what, uh, Josh, that's what I think the big thing is now, Jimmy, definitely a different style coach than uh, coach Howard. I'd go out there to their practices. Guys were on a knee, guys had a helmet on, blah, blah, blah. I'm a man that never fly here. They had water on the field. Boy, they ain't flying. But Jimmy got it. He knew what he had down there and how you had to work and how you had to compete. And when I watched them, that's what they did. Them guys, man, talking smack, they're competing every now. That stayed with them. That, that morphed over to Erickson. That morphed over to uh, uh, the other coach who gave me Butch. the one. Uh, Butch. And it, just, it just kept going. Because everybody knew from the older guys that were there how we practiced in Miami how you competed, how you would. We talked trash to each other all day practice because hell, it's 100 degrees out, the humidity's high. We want to have fun. And that's the way we had fun. 
you couldn't just clown around and not do your job. So if we're going to work against each other, we're going to bust each other's chops. We're going to have fun doing it. So it became a competition, but a fun spirited one where we just got used to doing it. And that's how we got through practice. What, um, who, so who was tougher, How, Howard or Shula? You know what, Shula, uh, Howard came from coaching with Shula. Now, I'd say Howard, uh, now Shula paid me, though, so that was a little different. Uh, <laughs> but same demeanors in a way. Now, Shula was a lot easier to talk to off the field. Shula had a, a funny sense of humor, uh, very easy. On the field, he was a madman. Uh, and that's what I didn't know. And we used to get in shouting matches. And he would cuss me out from one end to another because he always told me you're in there because of your brain, not because of your physical ability. <laughs> so I would laugh. I'd go, I didn't call him. Oh, he jumped me. He was tough. But his way of doing it was the same way. He believed, oh, no, he's drinking all that water. You don't need all that. He wanted our weights down on a certain amount. And we worked hard. And his way of getting us out for like a third practice or a practice in shorts and all that, was he was always saying, we're getting the edge. You know, we'll get the edge. And I'm like, man, after a while, I was like, the hell with the edge. I think we got enough already, you know? But that was the way he would say it. But when I went up to New York and practiced, to tell you the difference, New York guys were going, hey, man, where did you practice the dog? I said, two hours and 15, you know, and we, we practiced, whatever. And they were going, man, we practiced three hours here. I go, wow, three? A practical? Oh, man. Man, there was so much walkthrough and stuff, guys that I'd actually almost get tired during practice because I was bored. Uh, we, our, we, our sprints afterwards were uh, striders. I, you know, I'm, I'm going through practice like it's a breeze. It was a piece of cake. Howard and uh, Shoes practice were very similar. Uh, you were hitting, you were very active, you didn't climb around, you, didn't, you, could, you could laugh about stuff, but you better be doing it right. And, and that's the way you had it. And, and you're going to work hard, you're going to work extra. And we ran time sprints. Well, we didn't run uh, joggers like I used to call them up there. We jog, you know. And I mean, wow, it was it was a big difference. If um if Howard stays, if he never leave, if he doesn't leave oh. to the USFL, what do you what do you, what do you think happens? More and more championships. I don't know how many he would have won, but let's just say that, uh, like Saban, us what he what he's done now at Alabama. I think that's what you saw, Miami. I really do. I think. I think he would have reeled off more and more national titles. And they would they would have been concurrent like that. Maybe he wins two or three in a row, but he doesn't go more than a couple of years without winning another one. I just think he was that hot and the guys wanted it so bad and everybody came in that he rolls with more national titles for sure. Is there a Howard or a Shula or both in you as a coach? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately <laughs> and unfortunately. <laughs> The good parts and bad. Right, I'm sure. Yeah, when I got out, I call it the beats now. I tell everybody with the heat. Oh, you know, I give my kids plenty of water and joke about it. But I tease them about the heat. Because that's the way we had to get through it. I said, it's a beach day. They're walking out, so coaches on it. Like, oh, what are you? That's a beach day out here. But I started to get the rough, get after your ass type of practice. And, you know, I don't want to hear no excuses. I holler and scream. I still holler and scream. Uh, but. I don't just holler and scream to holler and scream. I holler and scream to coach. And, and I bring it up because I don't want to hear excuses. Uh, I like it done right the first time, but you always got to correct, you know, as you run it. And again, that doesn't mean I'm hollering and screaming bad, 
It just means that I'm on them every play to make sure that you're doing it the right way, doing it the right way. And my coach, I'm the same way with them. They, they know. I tell them sometimes I can be a big ass, you know, a jackass. And they know it, but I love them. And we get along great. And I love my kids that I coach that way. But, uh, yeah, that, that part of me comes from the Howard Shula tree of we're going to do things right. And when we're not, you start getting uh, tired and upset. Yeah, that part so of me is not going to change. You also said in your Hall of Fame speech, you said, I looked at Howard when you were playing. You said, I looked at him and said, he's nuts for coaching. He's nuts. I'd, yes. never, I'd never do that. And you're doing it. I know. And for 30, this is 33 years or whatever now. And I laughed because I, I figured it out. But I, I thought, I go, what an idiot. You know, I, how could you stay around this all the time? I mean, I'd be home. They're up early morning. They're up late night. Man, that's got to be nuts. Ain't enough money in that for me. Well, yeah, hell, I'm doing it at the high school level. I did it four years at a small college, but at the high school for most all of us, and they don't get paid money for this stuff, but I love it. It's it's something that you find out why they did it. It's a passion. It's in you. And I, I feel good when I'm out there. I always tell guys that it's always great going to do something where it doesn't feel like work, all right? I can hang out at night and watch film, which I do, and I've spent the night, plenty of nights in my office and watch film and spend, especially in losses. I tell them, I ain't going home. After loss, I feel bad. I'd stay in there and watch that damn film all night and get up in the morning, put the coffee on, and we get ready for the Saturday film watch. And all the things that I used to think was crazy, you find out you're doing, but then you realize why. And it is just because you're passionate about what you do, you know, and that's, and that's okay. But, uh, and I thank them for what they put me through because I have an understanding. All right, we're gonna two things kind of off the grid, off the UM grid, but I got I I have to ask you about them. You know, one's LeBron, but I'm gonna try and ask you something that I haven't <laughs> heard. But but and if this gets edited out for the details, so be it. We're recording this, so I'm gonna let it fly. Can you tell me the thumb story from the Miami Dolphins days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, Joe Rose, my buddy, we, every time I come in town, if he knows it, he's gonna get me on the show just to hear that. I heard, I heard it. I heard it. So now I, I want, I want to hear it again. Okay. Just well, to make sure, to, just to make sure I heard it right. I fractured this. Okay. I, I, man, I get this big cast put on one hand. Well, we're playing the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, Terry Long was a guard. Dude, and I jumped over somebody and I snapped my thumb on his helmet. Well, it's my other thumb. Well, I'm afraid to come out because I don't want to lose my, and my thumb's kind of hanging through the tape. Like, oh shit, I think I broke it. All right. So I'm, I got a cast on this one already. So we finished the drive. They score. I get hit by Diamond Deal, one of my own guys, something like that. I'm coming off the vehicle. Oh, God. So I go to the doc. I say, hey, doc, uh, my thumb. So he's looking at the cast. I go, no, the other one. Jesus Christ. So he takes me under. Long story short, I get on the bus, and I got two casts like this. And uh, Roy Foster's called me Fonzie and all this stuff. <laughs> so I walk around. <laughs> well, to go back to practice, they had to extend them because I broke the tip of a thumb too. So I had these casts up to my forearms and all the way up my thumbs on both hands. All right, and LeBron, so I've heard, I've heard you've been asked a lot about how good he would have been at football, and you've said he'd be really good. That's not what I want to ask. I want to know how crazy was it, was it around, was it, uh, give me the name of the mountain, Maine, what's that, St. Mary, St. Vincent? Yeah, St. Vincent, St. Mary. St. Vincent, St. Mary. Sorry. So how crazy was it around that school those two years he, or two or three years he oh was there? Oh, my God. 
the last year was unreal because the Hummer got bought and people thought it was unreal. I remember pulling up the school and there were so many national TVs outside in vans that you could see from CNN so, so somewhere in Texas. So all these uh, uh, vans outside and cameras trying to get stories about what was going on. And after that, it calmed down and the Hummer part went away. It was still the fascination of seeing this kid play and wanting, when he became on the a Sports Illustrated magazine, we had to block school all the time because people were coming from the outside to try to get in our school any way they could to get autographs. And it was like, a, oh, wow. It's hard to say. It was like a some kind of a movie. And I remember some teachers were complaining. And I put this thing in their uh, uh, mailbox, and it was uh, positivism. And I went, positive, because we got to be positive one thing. Man, you are never going to see the likes of this ever again. Not, the, not in our lifetime. And, and we sure didn't. But it was a, it was theatrical. I mean, it was from him happened to be like coat thrown over top of him. I remember he had to go to the hospital one time. He injured a finger. Our doctor took him in the back way of the place, but no one could recognize who he was. Put a jacket over his head. Uh, how they got him out of places or in. We had to move our games to big arenas because they were sellouts. And people would stand outside. And when he played football his senior year for me, we were in a little Amish town kind of. Uh, and they had hay bales and, and tractors for halftime and stuff. Very country and all. And I, you know, I didn't think too much of it. LeBron's playing with Seaver. We win, and after the game, a bunch of them came over to our locker room. I'm going, you know, what's going on? You know, I'm, do we do something wrong? They were going, hey, uh, uh, can we get LeBron's autograph? And I went, oh, my God. I went in and asked LeBron. I called him LG at the time. I said, LG, you mind signing some autographs? Oh, no, coach, that's fine. We had to finally tell the people we got to leave on the bus. We had to, he was signing autographs and taking pictures. And there was just a massive crowd around our buses. And this is in a tiny little town out in the uh, burbs way out. And I mean, he was just known everywhere. So everywhere you went was kind of, uh, he got used to it. And I think he was unbelievable on how he handled it. Cause there's no way in hell at that age, my, me being there, I could have. And he kept that, that group around him forever. They're Where still are you there now? now. Where are you? Are you in Akron? Yeah, I'm in Akron now. Yeah. So how much, like, can you tangibly see the things he's done for the city? Yes. Yes. I promise school that it's awesome where kids go to. Yeah. My daughter goes to St. Vincent, St. Mary now, which I don't want her to because I coach in Manchester. I want her my school, but it is what it is. But he's done so many things down there for the school and the people, the kids, the community, uh, the housing places that are going up uh, that he's invested in. And whenever he comes back home. Uh, yeah. Everybody in the city can point to something. Uh, the, his uh, foundation is always putting something on and they're always doing something with the money. All the kids that go to scholarship, go to college, the, that started at the school, the, the things he's done there. It's just, yeah, it's all around the town. You see it all the time. And last thing, did you enjoy coaching him? Yes, I did. Because I'll tell you what, he was a, had a great sense of humor, but he was a kid that wasn't afraid to say that if he dropped much, his fault, all right, my, my bad, whatever, I'll get back. Coach, I can do that. I, I do, Yep. He would take his helmet off and run scout team quarterback against us. The kid could run the option, could do everything. But he never made it feel like, look at me out here. He was just LeBron playing football with his buddies. And that's how he was. 
And then he, after we were done, he'd go upstairs in the gym and shoot for a couple hours. I mean, he just, he was a gym rat, but boy, he knew his sports. He knew how to play them. And uh, he didn't cut corners. He worked hard. He was a good, good kid. I enjoyed every minute of it. All right. Jay, thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure taking us behind the U. Uh, congratulations again on going into the Hall of Fame. And thank you for, uh, you know, for, for turning this football, pro helping being part of turning this football program into something we can all be proud of. Josh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on at any time because I love talking trash anyway. But it was great. And I'll tell you what, it's uh, my days with you 40 years later when you still feel relevant is a pretty damn good feeling. Miami-Dade County is partnering with you to help keep our community safe from COVID-19 now and in the future. Do your part by getting your booster, staying home if you're sick, and getting tested if you think you have symptoms. We'll keep doing our part to protect our children's education and ensure testing, vaccines, and boosters are available for all so that our entire community continues to thrive. It's our best plan. For more information, visit miamidade.gov coronavirus.